and especially when I was trying to think back on mixed race gay couples that I've seen on screen at the time of application the only one I could think of was my beautiful laundrette which was made well was released in 1985 the year I was born Uh, but then actually as I realized Russell T Davies banana and cucumber that came out maybe two years ago the central couple there is mixed race but you know you're talking about a 30-year gap hello and welcome to freelance pod my name's Chandrika Chakrabarti and I'll be your host Freelance Pod is all about how the internet has changed the world of work. On each episode, I'll speak to a guest about freelancing, side hustles, the gig economy, jobs that weren't possible before the internet, and how moving from an analogue to a digital age has revolutionised the way we work. If you'd like to get involved in the conversation, I'd love to hear from you. So please do follow Freelance Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also join the Facebook group, and you don't have to be a freelancer to get involved. On this episode, I'm speaking to Ollie Mason, who's a filmmaker. His next project is a short film called Have We Met Before, which explores the history of homosexual mating behaviours from the 70s to the present day. The film is part of the BBC and BFI Born Digital Scheme 2019, celebrating 30 years of the internet. Out of 450 applications, 11 ideas have been selected for production. All the films in the scheme will premiere at the BFI South Bank in March 2019, and will be broadcast on BBC4 in the spring. They'll also be available online. The films will be added to the BFI archives too. This is Ollie's first broadcast credit as a director, so it's a very exciting time. I first met Ollie at university. We were both undergraduates at Summerfield College, University of Oxford, back in the noughties. We both moved into film-adjacent work after graduating. As a fledgling film reporter, I was at the premiere of Stranger Than Fiction, starring Emma Thompson and Will Ferrell, which took place at the London Film Festival in 2006. Ollie was there too on work experience with Premier PR. He got me into the film's after party, where I met Emma Thompson and had a lengthy chat with her. She even gave me advice that I still live by. Just be brilliant, darling. So thank you to Ollie for making that celebrity encounter happen. Over to Ollie for his thoughts on filmmaking and dating as a gay man in a digital age. My name is Oliver Mason and I'm a filmmaker. Uh, I mostly go by filmmaker because I don't fully feel qualified to call myself just a director and I'm an editor too, so it's a broad catch-all term. And then so we are crowdfunding for Have We Met Before? We're crowdfunding on Indiegogo at the moment. So originally I saw a brief that came out from the BBC and BFI uh, that they were doing a short film competition about celebrating the 30th anniversary of the internet, which is next March in 2019. And it was a very open brief. (laughs) It was asking for uh, filmmakers to come up with any idea which celebrated the internet, be it artistic, fictional, documentary, um, kind of absolutely anything. And there's a producer who I've been trying to work with for a few years, and I'll I'll come back to how I met him because it's it's all to do with the internet. And I sent him this brief and I was like, oh, hey, Sid. So this sounds interesting. It's a fast turnaround. Um, we've got three days until the deadline closes just for application. I was on holiday recovering from surgery on my arm. So had the time available. And I was like, what do you think? Now, I normally direct and write fiction film and comedy. And so I was going to go a fairly literal scripted film idea about how the internet has affected gay men um because as someone who 
as a teenager wanted to access other gay men. I lied about my age online to get an account with Gaydar and started trying to gay men that way, which for me was a great way to realise there were other people like me. And so, yeah, for me, it felt like a pertinent topic to cover. And so I sent that very vague idea to Sid and he replied with, I'm up for it. However, have you ever thought about doing docudrama? It's a mixture of documentary and drama. So he suggested that we record audio interviews, which are then the documentary part, and we film new fictitious dramatic footage to go with it that will act as a visual poetry to, you know, the true verbatim accounts. And so we spent two days putting our application together. A month later, we knew it was going to be a really fast turnaround, got an email saying, hi, your interview is tomorrow. And it was a bit of a a mad scramble to get ready for that. Had the interview and two days later, we're told that we had got through. We then found out it was originally 450 applications, which were whittled to 20 interviews and then to 11 final films that are being made, which is awesome. I'm so excited. It's the first application that I've got through to making something. So, so yeah, so whilst my film is about how the internet has changed how gay men meet, the main focus is on how they have met for sex over the years. And I think actually having the, the true stories, hearing people's anecdotes about cottaging in the 70s and how when they did it, they were doing it as an act of political protest because they were underage, they were under 21, the age of consent wasn't equal. And if they were caught, they were also having sex in public and that was illegal. And I got this wonderful quote from someone saying, you know, it was his act of political protest and sticking two fingers up at the heterosexual establishment. And I'm like, yeah, that, you know, at some point I may want to use that in a fictitious film, but the punch and the bite of what he says, it just cuts straight through, which is going to be an interesting part of the process of putting the film all together. But our exec producer made a point that essentially we're making radio with pictures, but the pictures have to warrant why it's a film, which is why I guess, as I said, the pictures will be kind of poetic, um, but also have to not detract from the audio because the voices are the the meat and the heart of the film. I, in my pitch, and now in how we've cast it, I was very clear that I wanted, so in each era, it will always be the same two men that end up meeting, whether they meet in the 70s via the hanky code, or they meet in the 90s via Gaydar or a desktop website. Um, I always wanted it to be a mixed race couple. And especially when I was trying to think back on mixed race gay couples that I've seen on screen at the time of application. The only one I could think of was My Beautiful Laundrette, which was made, well, was released in 1985, the year I was born. Uh, But then actually, as I realised, Russell T Davies' Banana and Cucumber that came out maybe two years ago, the central couple there is mixed race. But, you know, you're talking about a 30-year gap. But yeah, so I'm, I'm very pleased that we've been able to cast excellent actors, but that it will be a mixed race coupling. And I think that's important to have that on screen. So there isn't archive video footage of this stuff. So even for the start of the film, we've got a very short prologue about how back in the, I think, 60s and 70s, there were secret gentlemen's clubs in central London, which were like, you know, a fancy Mayfair club, but for homosexual men, even though I'm sure they were never that explicit. And I've got a couple of accounts of them and they're wonderful and they're they're really evocative. And yet, obviously, there are no photos or videos of these clubs. And I would love to have images in there 
And yet, as far as I can find, no one was recording them because it was completely clandestine. Um, but yeah, so that we're having to find some other creative solution to that problem. Here, Ollie tells us how he met his long-term collaborator and producer, Sid Heather. So we met online. I'm a member of various different groups on Facebook, including a Film London Talent Connect group and a sort of young after members group. And I think it was on one of those that I, a few years ago, put a call out saying I was looking for a producer to work with me on an application. And from that, we got chatting and we got on well. And so, yeah, we, we only met that one time about three years ago. And since I've had a pretty much only electronic relationship of occasionally doing applications together. And then <laughs> when we were going for the interview for this project, we met up for a coffee for an hour beforehand. I was like, oh, this is actually the second time we've met in person. Um, here we go. And obviously now we're spending a lot of time together, but fortunately we get on really well. And he has got so many great ideas and a world of energy for this. And it's nice because so many people say that thing of, remember, no one is going to care as much about your film or as much about your short film as you do. And yet, I know that he cares about this as much as I do, which is great, because then, you know, we'll both work very hard because we want the best for this. Uh, yeah, I mean, it does definitely feel normal meeting strangers now, uh, which I guess I'm kind of covering in the film, like a question that I asked everyone was, do you remember the first time you met someone from online and how you felt? And it kind of varies a little bit from age of the people I interview of going, well, what do you know, I, I made sure I told a friend or someone where I was going and what was going on. And I had to make sure I texted them within 10 minutes. So they knew I wasn't going to be killed. So a couple of other people being like, well, you know, I hooked up with strangers in parks. It wasn't really that different hooking up with a stranger from online. It's just, you know, instead of a park, it's a computer that you've met this person. Our human experience of the internet has definitely changed. We've got more used to it just being a, a tool. Actually, all, all through the internet, I guess in the last two weeks, because I've been pushing this crowdfunding campaign, I've been constantly shouting about it across different platforms. And uh, I think a day or two before you got in touch with me, there's a band that I love called Summer Camp. Um, big shout out to Summer Camp. And I follow them, but I didn't realise that the guitarist, Jeremy, from there follows me. And then he sent me a direct message saying, hi, your film sounds really cool. Do you have a composer lined up? If not, I'd really love to talk to you about it. And I was like, ah, yes, I have to go with you. You're amazing. I love your work. And was just so excited to get that connection. And then a day or two later, I got the message from you as well. I was like, this is awesome. Stuff's coming together. Um, so yeah, I'm massively indebted to the internet right now. Ollie talks about redundancy here. Fun fact. Both of us have been through that process three times each. It's a recurring theme in the careers of freelancers, I find. The democratisation of digital, you know, it's definitely been favourable for me in terms of I got made redundant from a job, I don't know, six, seven years ago. And from that bought a semi-decent DSLR camera, which the majority of my films that I've made, I've shot on, which has taken out a production cost for me. And that's amazing that I can film stuff which we can broadcast on TV or in a cinema and it will still look nice. Technicians might argue and say oh it could look nicer but you know it's if need be it works whereas 10-15 years ago there's no way I would have been able to afford to make 80% of the films that I've made so far uh, and that's incredible but yeah as you say it then massively increases competition um, because everyone has access to an HD phone or now a 4K phone or a half-decent camera. And I just have to try and focus on that thing of good creative and good ideas will float to the top. 
But then there's just a lot more work for people who are doing that filtration system to go, should we commission you or should we put your film in this film festival? The number of film festivals that I've submitted to and they're like, yeah, we received over a thousand short films and we, we can only play 20. It's like, cool, great. I mean, that must have been a nightmare for you. And it's a shame my film hasn't got in, but yeah, it's a different landscape. This is my first, you know, big official commission. And it's my first broadcast credit, which is, you know, why I'm completely over the moon. But I've made, depending on how you count them, of varying qualities and some very, very low quality and pretty much all self-funded, 10 previous short films in the last eight years. And that has just been persistence and knowing it's what I want to be doing and knowing that I love it when it's happening and working. And, you know, some of them have been misses. Some of them have been hits. When I made the first one, I was like, yeah, you make one short film and it's good and it gets in the festivals and then you've got your career and swiftly learned that wasn't the case. Here, Ollie takes us along on his career journey. A few months after I finished university, I was doing work experience for Premier PR on the London Film Festival. And before that, I'd done work experience for Future Shorts, who've now become Secret Cinema or Future Cinema. They do massive, incredible, immersive cinematic experiences, which are very cool. And towards the tail end of university, I mean, I studied experimental psychology, but towards the end of it, I felt that I wanted to work in TV and film in some capacity. So yeah, so I pretty much straight after uni was office runner for BBC Drama. And when I was there, I mean, I was mostly sitting with script editors uh, who I had never heard of as a job before and was like, well, that's interesting. I remember a couple of them took me under their wing because they saw I was this very fresh 21-year-old who didn't really know what he wanted to do. And they gave me two different scripts, which I think were sort of draft 11 and draft 13 of an episode of something they're working on. I said, oh, I thought you might like to see how how well, how we work and what's going on and i read them was like i can't see any difference between the two of these like what are you doing and like mm. there's some quite subtle but really integral story changes as well as line changes and it was at that point way over my head from there i worked as production secretary on a bbc one drama called criminal justice with ben wishaw and the late pete postlethwaite which was, you know, awesome to go work on a, on a big BBC One show. And it made it very clear to me that I did not want to be a production secretary and work up the production route. But I did see that I definitely wanted to be involved in some way in that whole process. Went and got an assistant script editor job with someone who I'd worked with at the BBC, but for an independent company and had a wonderful year of being trained in script editing and reading loads of scripts and loads of books and just feeling really engaged with words and story and then got made redundant. That was, I guess, 2009, maybe. So not long after the crash and spent two years trying to get another trainee assistant job in script and there just weren't any and I like methodically wrote to I think about 100 production companies asking for a coffee and then from there I met maybe 15 people for a coffee and from there I think two job interviews came up and then I got down to like the final two on a couple of jobs and didn't get it and then accidentally fell into working in marketing for about four years but then when I moved over to marketing I know I want to be working in film. I'm just going to start making short films and I can see that that's what you need to do. I just need to try it. And I felt that director was something I wanted to work towards. 
And so I made a music video when I was at Innocent Smoothies. They had a glee club and I did a music video of them performing Lady Gaga Bad Romance, which it's still on YouTube. It's got like 44,000 views, not that I check it every day. And that was so much fun to do. Like, yeah, it's really lo-fi and really silly, but I had a great time. And then I made a high budget short film called Something Old with my friends Delith and Harry. And I guess I've just made a short film pretty much once a year since then of varying production standards and budgets and generally no budget and have just kept on working. And I applied to a couple of film schools and didn't get in and took solace in the website Film School Rejects, which lists a lot of really big film directors who are amazing, but who all got rejected from film school that tries to make you feel okay about it. And so, yeah, I kind of decided that my film school was going to be personal study and learning by doing. And yeah, so that's, that's how I've got to now. I think that way of like being a self-starter and putting things out in the world, people go, oh, cool, you're, you're a doer, you're a maker, that's appealing as well. Yeah, I think so. And also, I remember, I think the first time I looked into applying to film school, it was like, well, you need to send in a showreel. It's like, well, I don't have any films. I was like, okay, well, I need to make stuff to be able to show people to get the next project. And I guess I kind of kept that mentality that you're only as good as your next piece, but you need to keep making those good pieces and better work uh, to keep moving forward. I guess the two things are the themes I'm covering, but then also the apprenticeship and the learning by who I work with. And in terms of theme, (laughs) it's on a direct topic. I generally lean more towards often romantic stories or sexual stories because I'm quite interested in those emotions in terms of desire and longing and sensuality and misplaced longing. Um, You know, I spent a lot of my 20s trying to find a relationship and keeping hoping and wanting something was going to happen and it didn't. And I I think that's a quite interesting emotional subject to investigate. A lot of the films that I've written have focused on gay romantic storylines. And I kind of set myself a challenge that my last or previous producer and some family members and myself were like, let's try and make some storylines that are non-gay specific just to show, you know, potential audience that I can do more than just that and so the web series that I put out at the start of this year that was five episodes and none of them actually one of them has a bisexual male character in uh, and then there is a lesbian episode and then the others are non kind of non-relationshipy that was useful for me just to show I can do some non-romantic storylines and some just some dramatic storylines and comedy when I got to the end of that project I just sort of went you know what the next thing I make, I just want it to be really gay. Like, I just need that myself. Um, it's just something I feel a connection to right now. And so I guess thematically <laughs> making a film about how different gay men have d- met over the years and different ways to have gay sex is about as gay as you can get. And I'm loving it. Like, the interviews, I've had so much fun meeting these people and getting their stories and... My boyfriend, like each time I come back from a good interview, I'm like, oh my God, I need to tell you about this entire interview. He's like, that's great. He can probably wait to hear it or hear the edited version of it. I'm just finding that really energizing. So I guess thematically, yeah, I'm kind of honing in more on gay relationships for now. And then the other thing I guess I wanted to say was around 
development and learning through apprenticeship. And whilst, you know, I haven't been working on set, so I haven't been learning by watching a director at work. I guess I've been learning through, in part, I work as an editor at Vice and learning from my boss there about storytelling and documentary storytelling and structure is incredibly helpful. But then also my producer, Sid, now I'm learning from and the different directors of photography that I've worked with. And whilst uh, I've done a lot of my films and the majority of the web series with one director of photography, Magda, who is a beautiful, exquisite cinematographer. Um, And I love her work and I love working with her. She's delightful. For this film, my producer and I thought it'd be good to push me to work with somebody different and to take me slightly out of my comfort zone. And so our our director of photography on this, a lady called Emily, is wonderful. She has so many ideas and a lot of the time her ideas are already what I'm thinking. I just haven't expressed. And other times they're new and then we get to bash them out and go, does it work? Doesn't it work? And that is just helping me learn more because, you know, she has a different production experience to me. And yeah, that's, that's a great way for me to be creatively learning too. Here, Ollie talks about interviewing gay men about their sex lives both before and after discovering the internet. He'll use this audio in the film. Going into this, we knew that the turnaround was going to be very, very fast from interview to acceptance to delivering a rough cut. And so I'd already pulled together a list of people that I would ask to to interview. And I think I got notified on the Friday night that I got it. And then Saturday morning, I quickly messaged a load of guys and like, hi, I'm making this film. Any chance you'd be interested? And if you are interested, can I come and record you in two days time? And I started with mostly friends or friends of friends that I knew either had done certain activities or were uh, verbose and specific in their language and would be able to tell emotionally intriguing and engaging stories and then also because I really wanted to hit a breadth of age like I needed people who'd had a fairly lived experience pre the internet and I wanted to cover as wide a range as possible my initial panic was I'm not going to find many people that much older than my peers and I'm mid-early 30s uh, and I've got some friends in their 40s and 50s but I was like I'm not going to find much older than that and was asking everyone and everyone's friends like do you have any older gay friends I have got up to people in their 80s which is fascinating and then once I'd done six interviews I went oh I don't have anyone near 20 oh no and quickly had to run around finding some younger gay guys who are happy to talk about about their sex lives and about the internet so yeah friends and friends of friends and in terms of stories that I've come away from being like yes that there's one person that I interviewed and most interviews have been maybe about an hour a little bit under an hour and I interviewed him for an hour and a half and even once we packed away the recording stuff we kept talking and he kept telling me more stories and he since has been like oh I've got another story I'm like I know you do and to be honest I would actually love to do an hour-long film just on your experiences because they're amazing. But I think the one which really stuck out for me was his account of cottaging in the 70s. And for those that don't know what cottaging is, that's the activity of having sex in a public toilet. And I think only gay sex in public toilets. And describing, as I kind of alluded to before, about being under 21 that it was illegal, that if you outed, you could lose your job. Um, A lot of these toilet cubicles were monitored by the police because they were known for cottaging. And he just gave me that 
incredible social context about what being gay was like at that age, along with the excitement and scintillation of sex with a stranger. And there was one comment he made about how there was a cottage that he visited that was near an army barracks and how like on a Friday night you'd go there and it was standing room only. The room was packed with soldiers. And I'm like, that's so hot and alien to me, like but really interesting. You know, I'd love to film that, but, but we don't have the budget all the time to fill a toilet full of army looking men. And I, I think that has helped me frame kind of the end story that I want to edit to is that this film isn't just about gay men having sex and whether they've met in a park or a toilet or by the internet but these social cues and changes of what being gay in the UK has meant in different years and different eras and that for me makes it far more interesting and tells a far bigger picture and like especially interviewing those younger guys where I've been like have you ever done cottaging or cruising like no there's been no need like I grew up with a smartphone why why would I do go through the risk and danger of going out to a public toilet? I'm like, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> it's a different world. Uh, a couple of contributors have said it pushes people back to secrecy because you don't need to be overtly gay. You don't even need to go to a gay space or a gay bar or gay club. You can just, if you want to, live a straight acting life and then privately meet people online or on your phone. Um, which, you know, I mean, I guess has been true through the ages. I find it sad where there are some anecdotes of, you know, people having sex with straight men who have wives and children. And that I find really sad that people still feel the need to live a lie. But, you know, everyone has their own reasons for how they go about their sexual and romantic business. And yeah, some, some of the guys have made some interesting points about community, even how through cottaging and cruising, you get your regulars. And so you would make friends that way, or at least acquaintances. And, you know, I guess the same with clubbing and bars. Like I spent the majority of my 20s very regularly going to the joiners, one of my favourite gay bars of East London, and that's now closed. And it saddens me because, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I met a lot of people and that was great. But I quite like socialising and being around gay people. But then also I nowadays go out less, so there's that too. I definitely search for gay and queer community. There's a, a community called the Radical Fairies, which has been around since the 70s. And they're an alternative queer hippie community, which are all over the world. And they've got land and they do wonderful events and gatherings. And I love tapping into it and feeling this. It's not quite brotherhood, because they probably call it more sisterhood, but community and connection of different queer men and I've met so many fascinating people from different walks of life and different ages and different nationalities and that's been a really nice way to travel and dip into those societies uh, but then you know I think a lot of people don't feel the need to find a queer community or community that is based on one sexuality which you know to each their own but that's something that's been important for me so we get we do get a budget from the BBC and BFI, which is great, but it's not a huge budget. Um, and we are paying everyone London living wage, which is lovely. But a lot of that given budget is now gone on people because we are a fully crewed short, which is also really exciting for me because the last stuff I've made has generally been about five people in a room, including actors. And the idea of having more people there means... You know, today I had a meeting with my costume team and there are two people and even that's amazing. And one of them has just come off working on Bohemian Rhapsody in the Elton John film. 
and the other one was the lead costume designer on the first Downton Abbey and has won millions of awards. So we need we need to raise more money to help pay for costume and costume hire locations. We're still sorting out, but we'll hopefully be filming in uh, East London. Then we also need money for camera and lighting equipment, for catering. We will probably need some help with post-production. So I'm going to be editing the film myself. But because we're going to be seeing phone screens and computer screens, we're quite likely going to need some design work and some VFX work, which will incur a cost. And then further down the line, we will be entering the film into film festivals. The film will be broadcast on BBC4, along with the full collection of films in March, I think, along with being presented at a night at the BFI. But thereafter, I retain the IP, the copyrights of the film, and we'll be sending it to as many relevant film festivals as possible. And that's really costly. Like I've done film festival strategies in the past. And I think for my last full short film, Away With Me, I spent about four or five thousand pounds on the film and then another fifteen hundred pounds on festival submissions so that really eats it up and you know we want we want a lot of creative work from a lot of different people because we want this to be as brilliant as possible so yeah that's that's what we need the crowdfunding money for it slightly helps that i've already recorded all the audio interviews and then the filming will just take place across two days So the end film can be somewhere between four minutes and 12 minutes. And I will definitely be pushing for the full 12 minutes. You know, so far I've whittled the interviews down to an hour. I'm finding it hard to take it to shorter than that. But that's my project across the next few days. So yeah, a very full two-day shoot. Uh, So my, my three top tips for anyone who wants to be a filmmaker. Number one, and I've definitely seen other, you know, big Oh, proper professional directors say this, perseverance. And you've just got to kind of believe in it. And if you know it's what you want to be doing and it's what fills you with passion and excitement, you've got to deal with a lot of knocks and a lot of rejection and just keep on going. I had good and bad advice from an exec producer a few years ago who said, how old are you? Oh, early 30s. Well, most directors don't get their first feature till mid-40s, so you've got a while to go. And that blew the wind out of my sails, because I was like, well, what am I supposed to do for 15 years? And I went, well, do you know what? I'm just going to keep making stuff, because I will be learning. And if I get my first feature in my 40s, then I'll have a world of experience, and I'll get it sooner than that. I will be much happier. So believe in yourself, persevere, keep going. Applications, film festivals. I had a really sad couple of months this year where... The web series, we submitted it to several film festivals, and it seems like September to October was the period where they were all giving out their notifications if you got in or not. And I woke up every day to a rejection email for about two months, which was pretty disheartening. But then at the end of that process, I got accepted onto this scheme, which was a huge boost. Tip number two, it's a tricky one, but try and find people or work with people that you can learn from, whether that's, you know, as I did years ago, just being work experience and being a runner on set. Everyone will tell you the first thing you need to do if you want to work in film or TV is go and be a runner. And it's true because you see how it all works and you get a feel for it. And in fact, I have our university, Oxford, to thank for when I was still a student, there was a 
job sites, which included work experience jobs. And I found a short film, which was being produced by a guy who had left uni a few years earlier, and they needed a runner. And I, aged 20, went and did that. There, got on really well with the camera team and with the camera assistant, who then took me on as camera trainee. And, you know, five years later, he then shot my first proper short film, um, which was lovely to maintain that relationship. And it just showed me how a set works. And then, of course, working at the BBC and beyond gave me more of that experience. And so, yeah, go and be a runner, but also be flexible about what your end goal is. Because I guess I first went in with, I just want to work in film and TV. And for a while thought, oh, I'm working with script people. Maybe I want to be a script person. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go work in production. Oh, no, I don't want to be like a production manager, producer, angle person. Uh, but yeah, try different stuff and learn from different people. I don't know how to summarise it beautifully into tip number three, but I mean, the internet, there's so many different ways and places that you can put content out. I guess what's been really helpful for me actually is having worked in marketing and in digital content marketing is when you're putting video out into the world, make sure it is formatted correctly for that space. Whilst it's slightly different, but the recent example of my crowdfunding, we had the main crowdfunding video, which was widescreen, a little bit over three minutes that lives on Vimeo and on the crowdfunding website. But then I knew that for Facebook, it should be square. It should be one by one ratio. And for Twitter, it should only be a minute and same for Instagram. And for those social media spaces, for those social media spaces, it should be subtitled because a lot of people video auto plays, they might not have sound on if they're looking on their phone, but if there's text, they can still access it. And it's been fascinating seeing the change in interaction with those videos when I've put the text of one out on Facebook yesterday and loads of people liked it and commented on it, engaged with it, like know where you're putting something and why. And then in terms of previous like film platforms, I generally put stuff out on Vimeo rather than YouTube if I'm making it publicly viewable. Uh, but a lot of my films, I keep passworded so that we can enter them into film festivals. And that's a personal choice just because Vimeo is a little bit more design and filmmaker tailored towards. However, for my the web series that we put out at the start of this year, we definitely had questions between YouTube or Vimeo because both platforms have a lot of web series on them. And I feel for comedy and for things made a bit faster and a bit shorter, YouTube's great. And they have an incredible network and system to help distribute your stories and connect you to other things that are similar to you. Thanks, Ollie Mesa, for speaking to me on this episode. There's still time to check out his crowdfunder if you'd like to know more or to donate. You'll find the link in the show notes and across Freelance Pod's social media. If you'd like to get involved in the conversation, I'd love to hear from you. So please do follow Freelance Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also join the Facebook group and you don't have to be a freelancer to get involved. If you enjoyed this episode of Freelance Pod, please do rate and review us. This helps other listeners find the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you get a notification every time there's a new episode of Freelance Pod. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.